This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. And welcome to the 30th episode of MM Plays. Tonight we discuss players jumping your story in your tabletop role-playing games. But first, my name is Jerry. Uh, my name's Phil. Jumping your story sounds a little, well, on par for... Are we not doing freezing anymore? I, thank you. Um, do we just, like, kick it? Like, like catch it in a dark alley and beat it up? That's, is that, what, is that I, the version of jumping we're talking not, about? Not the connotation I was thinking. That was about. the 90s version of getting jumped. I was thinking, like, the 80s, 70s version of jumping. I don't know what that means. Me. Goes back to the old jumping your bones. Oh, it's oh, that thing. thing. It's about That's, sex. No, I, I got gotcha. you for a while, Chris, and it still is around. Jumping your bones. I didn't realize we were going that for jumping your story. Anyway, Finally, that's I, Phil. That's Chris. I'm Mole Man Logan. Thank Let's you. Do I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I was waiting for you to jump, jump the intro, Bob. Thank you for doing it. Finally, let's do some announcements. Uh, I would like to do the. Uh, the Patreon bump. By the way, this episode probably comes out on August 22nd. I'm guessing. So that's when this is coming out. If not, it'll jump to another date. Correct. What? Our Patreon. We have a Patreon at MMP. Patreon at MMP.com. And in that Patreon, you get a bunch of extra podcasts, like the After Show, which is you know, more about us. We yep. like to talk about media a lot and other little things are going on in our lives. We do Off the Cuffs, which is RPG content that we do off the cuff. We have Behind the Screens with Phil, where he talks about GMing the Children of the Shroud, which we haven't had one in a while because we haven't finished Story 3 yet. <laughs> Correct. I haven't had to write anything new in a little while there's a thing that i want to talk about about that like well phil intended this to be one or two sessions we've been playing for like four yeah. <laughs> also, also phil is really bad at gauging how much material gets played i mean how many how much of those games though it was just like oh we took something and ran with it that we didn't really need to yeah i mean we can we can compare it up to the notes yeah. uh, and then there's the bamboo lounge which is phil and senda being phil and senda yeah that's very true accurate well with that let's move on to our main segment jerry take it away all right, in a recent game of Children of the Shroud, our characters failed to capture an adversary. So instead of following the trail of clues to find them again, we decided to use some other options we had to go after the larger plot and try to rescue Mesame. That's Silas's partner. She had a large part of her essence ripped right out of her, and she merged the rest with Silas so she wouldn't die. Right, and so you can hear that piece at the beginning of episode one of Children of the Shroud, A Time for Change. Plug. Yeah, not that we're plugging our content. We are never done plugging our content. All right, fine. Uh, anybody else want to plug anything? No? Good. I'm going to continue now, so stop throwing off the episode. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. Going after Mesame wasn't something Phil expected us to do early in the game, but we had the fictional means to do it. So Phil asked for a break to get things together and make an adjustment or two. Yeah, and I totally did. I spent about 15 minutes kind of looking over my notes with a uh, pencil and an index card, quick jotting down how I was going to kind of change things up to make it uh, work. And by make it work, I mean that the plot and everything kind of made sense. But also, I wanted you guys to do the thing you wanted to do. I wanted you guys to make progress on it. But I also didn't want to just hand you something uh, super early. It's totally fair. So this led to the next topic. What do you do when your players jump the plot and do it without disrupting the game? And to do that, we're going to take a step into the workshop. Workshop, workshop, jump in the plot. I mean, get consent first. Buy him some dinner, jump the plot, jump the plot, but also make sure they have a good time, and we'll show you how to do it here in the workshop. And don't suck. Or do. Or maybe 
Yeah, so like maybe maybe that's context. what the plot maybe that's what the plot wants. Yeah, maybe that's what the plot wants. Yeah. Consent, everyone. Consent. Yeah. Always with consent. Ask questions. <laughs> yes. Be curious. Ted Lasso. That's right. Yes. Be curious. Be curious, not judgmental. Fuck. All right. Uh, <laughs> this really begs the question of which one of you two is the Roy uh, Kent of our podcast. Bob, oh, Bob or Jerry. Fuck you. No, I'm Roy Kent. Well, Bob is Roy Kent. <laughs> Bob is 100% Roy Kent. And I think Phil might be Jamie. Or not Phil. Uh, Chris might be Jamie. I'm totally Jamie Tart. Oh, he's yeah. totally Jamie yeah. Tart. <laughs> I put Jerry at the general manager. Yeah, definitely. Leslie. Leslie. Yeah, I'm Leslie. definitely Leslie. <laughs> I'm definitely Leslie. Anyway, when you get back to tabletop role-playing adventures, um, they come in lots of forms. Sometimes there's published modules, there's homebrew scripts, and even improved storylines. Uh, but for those with complicated plots, keeping certain story elements in order can be important to the overall adventure and story. But sometimes, sometimes, the players will, either by design or accident, skip ahead, jumping to a later part of the plot. And when this happens, the GM has to make some quick decisions on how to handle what happens next. But before we get into the weeds on this... I think we're going to need a definition. Behold! You are in the presence of Definition Panda. Yeah, we really got just one definition for this week, which is plot jump. Uh, A plot jump is when the players pursue a portion of or a different plot that the GM was not expecting them to go like to engage. Is this like way better than jumping the plot? It feels like it's way better than jumping the plot. It sounds better, right? It does sound better. Yeah, plot jump. If we had just named the episode that. Anyway, going back to the definition, right? It's into a portion of the plot or a different plot the GM was not expecting. Often into an area where the GM is not prepared for the players to go. This often puts the GM into a position of either having to ad-lib the segment of the game or do some quick prep to put something together or pull the players back from the jump. We're going to talk about all of those tonight. Now, the hard part of this is I think that most players are not trying to engage a plot jump. If you are, you're being a dick to your game masters. Don't fucking do it. True. But the reason it occurs... Such a language. The reason it occurs is because Players don't know what decision in the course of a game is actually a plot jump because the only person who knows how much of the game is prepped is the GM. So it's hard to know whether the decision you're making is just a good decision or you're about to initiate a, a plot jump. We actually kind of knew when we did it that it was a, we weren't doing it to be a dick to you. But I think we all talked about it first because I think we all realized we were doing a plot jump as players. We, sure. all, we, all, we could all tell that the way the story was going. We definitely, the reason we did the plot jump is because we didn't know how to take the other direction. I, I so we're going to talk about that, actually. I didn't think we were plot jumping. I just thought it was an alternate methodology to get to where we were going because we talked about it the previous session. I thought, Phil just forgot. And I didn't realize we were plot jumping until at one moment, Phil was like, oh, I totally forgot what we were doing. I'm like, well, that was like my plan this week. Yeah. So, we'll, so those are things we'll talk about when we get to the round table because we'll talk about how these occur because yeah. I think that's actually worth worth a discussion of, of talking about how these things come up. But to go back to what I was saying, it's hard for players to know. So assuming that your players aren't looking for plot jumps and then mm-hmm. trying to initiate them to throw you off your game, again, dick move, yep. if you are, assuming that's not the case, then only the GM knows when it's a plot jump. And the GM's got to kind of decide, are they going to tell the players or are they just going to roll with it? Now, we'll get into this a little bit more, but from personal experience, Depending on the magnitude of the plot jump, there are a lot of things that you guys have done in games where I'm just like, cool, we'll just go with that, right? And I don't even think twice, and I just kind of, like, I make little course corrections to the story, and we're fine. 
And then in the case of the Children of the Shroud game, that was significant enough where I was like, oh shit, I need to think for a second. There's some pieces I need to consider before I just go with your desire to cast the location ritual. Because the thing with the location ritual is that ritual is going to work. Now I could have, I think, did I make you guys make a roll for it? No. No, because I just resigned myself to just going with it, right? I could have my one, my one thing I could have done in the, in the ritual is I could have required a roll with the possibility that you wouldn't make it, but that didn't sound fun. And I think there are a couple other conditions I could have slapped on to make it a little more challenging. But when you guys were for it, I really just needed time. And since you guys were nice enough to give me 15 minutes, I was like, well, I'm, I don't want to hinder you guys on this. I'll, I'm on, I want to go in that direction. I just need to get my stuff prepared to go. So, Makes sense. Yeah. All right. So anyway, that's our definition. Again, it's, it's when the players make a decision that puts you in a place where you're not prepared for them to go. So let's, uh, let's talk about an example. Bob, why don't you hit me with one? Yeah. So the players may be in a mystery adventure and they could discover the identity of the secret murderer at the end of act one instead of in act three. Especially like this can happen with published adventures. Whoever wrote the adventure wrote it in a way that they thought was pretty hard to figure it out or could be that when the GM was running it, they didn't do a super good job of hiding or, you know, maybe made it too obvious and suddenly the players are onto something way earlier than they should be. Now, sometimes, uh, and I've seen this happen a couple of times in published materials, the players will simply make a mechanical success or have an unexpected ability that allows them to easily move past what are otherwise detailed encounters. Yeah, and if this game is improv or spontaneous, with the story evolving on the fly, this becomes far less a problem since you can push out the end of the story or rein it in as needed. But if the GM has a structured plot, having the players jump to the end game can cause some inconsistency in the story and may even end with them missing crucial plot points along the way. So when a plot jump occurs, the GM has a few options at their disposal. They can roll with it and keep playing. They can take a break, do some quick uh, rewrites or take, you know, a little bit of prep. They could end the session early. They could steer or stall the jump. That happened to us. Mm -hmm. And they have the option of pulling the players back, right? Like just please don't jump. Mm -hmm. Now, depending on your GMing style, some of these options will be more or less attractive. The first two options involve making some story changes, either on the fly or with some sort of break. And so to do this well, the GM's going to need a few tools. Number one, the GM needs to have some idea of where they expected the plot to go and some idea of where it's going now. Number two, they need to reassess the plot and see what the consequences will be if the players skip a story beat. Will this be the end of the story or the campaign, or will it just be another piece of the longer game? And does it need to be? Number three, they need to decide if there are any pieces of the plot that would have been skipped that need to be moved, included, revealed in the next couple of scenes, and then make a way for them to be included. Then lastly, the GM also needs to understand the motivations of the adversary or the problems the players are about to encounter before they get there. Not number four? Just just break the gag. It's fine, Jerry. It's fine. Anyways, putting all that together, the GM needs to determine what the new plot point will be and open up the first scene for the players. That's my indication that he is totally evil because he's ruining our fun now. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing around. That is not how how you write a list of things you always end with lastly so they know that, that they know the list is done. I know, but we're... You've got a degree in English. You know this. Yeah, but also I've been doing the podcast thing for a while, but like there's a gag there. Anyways, if you're going to do that on the fly or with a break. Oh, anyways, there's, there's if you're a gonna, gag. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> Bill's got. Yeah, yeah. I got a couple. All the, all all the, ring, all the, all the droolings. All the, the drooling. Man, all the droolings. Not good. 
Okay. Oh, Man, if you're gonna... is cute. No. No. It's fine. It's not sexy. It's cute. I'm talking about the amp show. Oh, man. Anyways, if you're going to do that on the fly or with a break, it's going to depend on a number of things, including the complexity of the story, the magnitude of the jump, the ability to ad-lib your game, and your need for any kind of prep, you know, like monster stats, things like that. The third option the GM has in this case is to call the game early. Sometimes a plot jump is so big that if you allow it to go through, you don't have enough material to either keep the game going or to do the game justice. In those cases, it's okay to end the game early and use your downtime between games to work on the material you need. And we're going to talk about this later with the story of the wolf. Mm-hmm. Number four, the last two options are to avoid the jump. That was funny, actually. i give you that one. All right. You can steer the players away from the jump by making the jump either unattractive or unattainable. NPCs can advise the characters that this is a bad idea. Uh, if you have a game with a command structure, you can just have the command rein them in. Like, don't do this, stay on task kind of thing, right? You can require a check that the players are not likely to succeed with or show them a problem that they can't overcome right now. Like, they need to do something else to overcome it. Like, oh, yeah, you could totally run up to that ship, but, it, you know, it's surrounded by its impenetrable shield. And we'll just remind them of that and then be like, oh, right, yeah, yeah, we can't just jump to the ship kind of thing. We need something that gets us through the shield. Expose them to something like that so that it kind of discourages them. The goal is to give the players the impression the decision is not worth it, and they will jump back to their original goal. Now, bit of warning here, this gets dangerously close to railroading. So you got to use a subtle hand when you employ this. Can we, can we go back through this list again? Sure. I want to talk about all the things you just said. These yeah. are interesting. Yeah, good. So uh, make it unattractive or unattainable. I mean, I could see that, but once again, like this is railroading. And man, have you, have you met player characters? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do this. Oh no, now we're doing it. Yeah. You told me not to, so I'm going to. 90% of player characters that, I, that, I, that I've played with will do that. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that, but since I've done this to you guys multiple times in multiple games, this totally works. Sure, sure. Now- <laughs> That's us, and we we also kind of see what you're doing, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. We're I like mean, look, there's no uh, mis- yeah. there's no mystery or mind control here, but there's a subtle unspoken language at the table, much like improv, where we learn to play off of each other. Where sometimes I put clues out at the table that, like, I would rather you not go in this direction. Yes, right. And I can sometimes do it subtly, mm-hmm. and sometimes I can't. Even when you're doing it subtly, we generally know that you're doing it. Sure, yeah. right? Like, because we just play along well that is my indication to you guys that we are heading into a potential plot jump now man i can't believe i'm doing the jerry on this one go ahead jerry before i get into it there is the flip side of this which is make the jump either unattractive or unattainable but also give them a more attractive option there's that too i mean you can also you can also lure them with something better lure lure them with something else yeah 100 percent. and and just you know that because that will help to avoid the well we were told not to do that but that looks interesting if you make something else look more interesting they might go do it i just know the other, i have other groups that that'll do the other thing yeah like probably shouldn't do this like that's not my version of I mean, i'm with you right like this works it totally works if you have a group but it of doesn't people, work with everybody it doesn't yeah. work with everybody <laughs> i'm i'm much more into the thing like yeah, man, just can we not do this today because mm-hmm. I don't have this ready? Like well, that is one the, you're going to jump. We're, you're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah, but two, I am going to. Let me do my last line from this section, which is if the players call your bluff, <laughs> you either need to be able to roll with it or fold. Yeah, I, 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 I still want to talk about this list. I think it's yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Like the game of the command structure, you can rein them in with. Sure. 
I'm with you, right? Like I would, I've done that before. I've also had the players be like, meh, 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 meh. we're just going to blow off the command streets. I'm like, yes. well, you're all going to get kicked out of the army now or whatever yes. it is. I'm like, and they're like, we're going Fine. rogue. I'm like, yeah. well, there goes my campaign. Yeah. Or, or, which, which then gets you to the last one, which is sometimes you have to just ask them not to. Do yeah, it. I yeah. know. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I think these are interesting. I like all of these. I just, I see all the the problems that come with them. And I like that they're there because you always have a backup plan, which is just like, all right, if you do that, then the game's over, right? Like, or the game becomes a different campaign. Cause I've been in those, like you said, like the command, the command structure says, if you do this, you're out of the army and they're going to be like, well, face BA let's go. Sure. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, game's over. I guess uh, we're not playing anymore. So, Um, or it becomes a different game. Sure. It, It can be, it can also become a different game. Yeah. My point to this is, and to your point of knowing that I'm, I'm doing this and, you, you know, you know I'm doing it, I know I'm doing it kind of thing is, in ballroom dancing, when you are leading a person, uh-huh. like, when you, like when you are the lead, you actually guide them around the floor. Oh, I'm very aware. Right. By subtly, by how you use your hands. Correct. Right? If you want them to go backwards, you push on the hand that's holding their right hand. Right before you step. Right. And if you want them to come with you, you put your, the hand that's on their back, you pull them towards you. That's what this piece is, is this is the interplay, like the dance, the conversation. I'm going to tell you the thing now that, that, that goes along with this metaphor. You're right, but unless you practice a bunch of this stuff with it, your partner, right. it yes. doesn't work. Yes. 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 Yeah, no, yes. you're, if you're going to dance with somebody yes. that's not really used to dancing, Correct. it's not going to work. Because it doesn't work. Correct. Like, I, like, right. these, I have these a three, these three we're, at we're the table. We're all practiced. Yeah. So here, let me ask you a question. You. Yeah. How do I get people to get to that point? So I think that probably the most important part of this, right, if we're going to just quick roundtable this, is forget the idea of never let them see you sweat. Let them see you sweat, right? The best way for players to understand what a plot jump is doing is to start telling players when it happens. Like, oh, you guys are totally going into a place I'm not prepared for. No worries. We just fucked his game. Well, no worries. I can, like, no worries. I can handle this. It's good. Or... Uh, whew, all right, like just so you guys know, if we're going down this path, you know, this is what's going to happen. It's going to fundamentally change the game. Like there's a thing where when I was a younger GM that all the advice was like about like doing this stuff, but don't ever let your players see it. Like be a duck, smooth on the surface, paddling like crazy yeah, underneath. And we all but know it's ter- that. that's terrible advice. Right? Now. It's yeah. like, fuck that. Just show everything. Mm-hmm. We all, we constantly are talking. Even yeah. now, like we've been playing games together for like mm-hmm. the three of the four of us have been playing games together for like what th- two years now? Like at least two. Three, I mean, no. as this particular group, yes. Like yeah. overall, like the four of us have been playing games together for like four or five years, mm-hmm. maybe longer in some cases. As a group together, pre-pandemic. Correct, right? Like yeah. so, it's been years. Like we're all very used to each other. Sure. At mm-hmm. this point, it's a pretty established game group. Mm-hmm. I'm with you though. When it comes to people that you're not used to playing with, or you're still getting a feel for, it, just talk to them. Yeah, just yeah. And, and we still do that, even though we we're all used to each other. We yeah. can play without talking to each other sometimes for like hours and hours. Look, just, if, just chat. If I'm putting on a show, right? If I'm running a con game, I might try to make it look a little smoother. Sure, yeah. But if I'm with you guys, I'm totally just like, you know, whatever. And I don't think people know. I don't know if people know this because I don't remember what makes the cut for the episode. When you guys in Children of Shroud had the plot jump about finding Mesame, I was like, oh, I need a few minutes. And Chris's initial reaction was, oh, cool, we'll just edit this. 
Because and then it's you said AP. yeah, we're, we're and you said don't edit it, leave it in there. I'm like, well, I'm going to edit around it to, yeah. to make it so there's chunks of it. That Nobody you, needed you like 15 it. minutes of, of elevator music yeah, while filled, right? Like, <laughs> but we but we mentioned it on the show. Like we mentioned, like oh, we took we just took a break. Yeah, I mean, I'll yeah. just put in. I'll put like that that meme, and they're like one yeah later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but that was important because. Again, to your point, right? Like we're like we're not an AP, as in like a packaged. We, we are not. An ed, we're not a entertainment actual play. Correct. We, we are entertain. We we are. Try, I'm trying to be entertaining. No, we're trying to be I'm trying to play characters and do all the stuff. But like the whole, a good chunk of the focus is to present the game to. And I would say ninety five percent of what you hear in our episodes, our AP episodes, is how we actually play games. Yeah, I mean, I'm just cutting out the the, the latency between certain things and people pausing or and the not knowing. Or of sure. discussion, yeah, like things. that kind of thing. But really, our table sounds like that. what you were listening to. Mm-hmm. All right, anyway. Chris, do you want to finish off this list by um, just... No, I just I want to talk about the next thing. No, like, go ahead, go ahead. So, like, the, these are interesting. I think these are all fascinating, right? Sure. Um, You can require a check that the players are not likely to succeed with or show them a problem that they can't overcome without without doing something else. I know that borders on the railroad thing. I actually think it's a really good way to get people to go back to doing the thing that you wanted them to do mm-hmm. in the first place because you can just be like, you want to do this? Well, to, to solve this problem, you have to go over here. Uh-huh. And that, that over here is the thing that we've already done. Yep. Now, like I said, it, it could feel like railroading and it kind of is a railroad, but who cares, right? Like you, like you did not take my plot hook that I wanted you to take. And sometimes you just need to take my plot hook that I wanted to take and you can do it subtly or you can be like, look, just go do the thing. Otherwise you don't have a game for today because maybe you're not good at improvising. Correct. Plot jumping, story jumping, story jumping the plot, story jumping. Yeah, we're going to do that one because I don't like the other one now. The other one's got me all, all quirky. In, in, in my head it's good we'll just change the meaning of it sure yeah. the uh if you want to learn how to improvise it's a pretty good way to learn how to improvise yeah and <laughs> and there's there's a point of these jumps that i actually enjoy when i'm playing because one of my favorite things when i play is to be surprised by what you guys do so there's a certain amount of jumping that i'm totally comfortable with where i'm just like sure no problem let's like let's do that let's go and then there are times like when we were playing children of shroud where Rescuing Mesame is in my idea of the arc of the campaign. Sure, yeah. Is at a certain point down the road that suddenly you guys got a lot closer to a lot faster. And all of a sudden I'm like, I am not 100% sure I want to completely relinquish this plot piece yet. That's fair. Only because it accelerates the end of the campaign. So in that case, that that plot jump required me to slow down and think through a little you know you gave me a piece of her essence yeah which is smart i don't know that there's some benefit that came with it other than we got a, a sniff of it which is enough for me but if you wanted to take that a step further people out there if, if like you you want to somebody plot jumps a thing and you want to give them a reward for like being clever or like getting around there you want to give them a little bit of something give it to them and then have it be narratively important and then maybe throw a little mechanical benefit on top of that yeah in retrospect, right? Because I was scrambling so much sure. during it. Yeah, man. But like, let me tell you what I think we should do. Sure. I think there should be a new trait on the table that is a count-up clock to the return of Mesame. Oh, that's interesting. Right? That, like, maybe you had a D6 of her inside you. Now I got a D8. And now you have a D8. And when it goes over a D12, she can reform. I mean, it'd be interesting if I could use that trait, too, when I'm yes. using my ice powers. Yes. Like, that's fascinating. That's, that's cool. That's kind I of like where that. I was. That's slick. I like that. That's yeah. a good idea. 
All right. Do you want to keep? Do you oh, want to delve well, into this well, thing a little more? I've kind of like ran over Jerry's thing, but <laughs> still, Jerry. Like when none of this stuff that we're talking about works subtly, what do we do? Number eight. You could just ask the players <laughs> not to jump. That's good. That's good. <clears throat> you, you didn't do number eight though. Like that, lastly, number eight. <laughs> <laughs> and then let it be number eight. You can confess that what they're planning is just not something you're ready for. This works with some decisions like doing A before B, but doesn't work when it's a mystery because it's hard to unknow a clue or some sort of conclusion. Yeah. And I think when I was writing this, just to clarify that, right, if you in act one discover who the villain is, it's hard to be like, hey, can you guys just pretend like you don't know who the villain is and play the rest of the adventure? But it's different if it's like, hey, we're going to go look for Mesame or we're going to go look for Jenna. Right. It could be like, hey, can you just go back to looking for Jenna? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, would that be OK? Because I, I know what to do there. We've talked about mysteries before, but really mysteries are two parts. Learning what the answer to the mystery is and then acting on the thing yes. that you've learned. Those are the two pieces. The great Ken Height formula. If you don't know what to do, collect clues until you know what to do. Yeah, and then do the thing. And then do the thing. How do you know you're right? You, I mean, look. If I, you think you know who the big bad is. Um, okay. <laughs> so, yes. In the background, right? So, yes. The GM. It's a good call. So, Bob. the GM could, because this is because this is actually the first two decisions. The GM could suddenly decide to make somebody else the actual bad guy, right? And move everything around. Depending on how fast you can do that, it goes back to those first two things. You may be able to just do it on the fly and be like, oh, yeah, the other likely person this could be is, you know, the, um, the guy who sits in the lighthouse to Scooby-Doo this up, <laughs> right? And, you know, then you just kind of, you know, quick retcon things in the back of your head and fix it. Or you might have to stop and do a quick rewrite and be like, well, out of my pool of characters, my NPCs, who could I pin this thing on? And then what subtle changes would I have to make in the plot to make that make sense? And then quick write that up. This is the premise of... Uh, of- Prindlewood Bay. There's almost always three to five people who could possibly be guilty. Right. And, and, that's, <laughs> and that is because Brindlewood Bay is a procedural mystery yep. where the mystery isn't actually, doesn't have a foregone conclusion. The game makes, a for, makes the conclusion. Well, the game lets the players figure out what the conclusion is. Right. But it can yes. be anything the players want. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As long as they have enough clues to answer the question. Which, you know, again, and, we, and actually, Chris, I believe we have somewhere in the archives, we have a whole episode on these on the difference between these two types of mysteries and the pros and cons. We did it way back when Noirlandia came out. Man, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that because we should probably do another episode on mysteries at some point. We should. We yeah. should come back and do that because one, you've played a bunch of Brindlewood games. Yeah. And we came off of Knights Black Agents recently. Yep. We are fresh on both procedural mysteries and improvised mysteries. And yeah. honestly, the mystery landscape has shifted quite a bit with the with the new these these new these games. games yeah these these kind of from Brindlewood games have kind of changed a lot of stuff actually if you look at Tales from the Loop it kind of has some of the same stuff in it I've been reading a bunch of Tales from the Loop lately oh I love that game like you it actually says like figure out what the answer to the mystery is as players and then once they figure out the answer to the mystery of course you're going to write a document in there of like what's going on actually in the in the mystery but then they have to act on the mystery to solve it so yes. it's, it's like it's all yep. that structure is right there yep it's all pretty simple. So now that we've discussed some options for what to do with these potential plot jumps, let's take a quick break and talk about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network before jumping into the roundtable for some discussion. Bob, take it away. Yes, you should absolutely listen to Thacko with Advantage. Ange and Jared love talking about RPGs and D&D in particular. Together, they share insights into the games they're running in the campaign journal and then tackle a variety of topics that affect the game in the DM's workshop. They're going to talk anyway, so they might as well record it, right? Maybe you'll even pick up an ancient D&D factoid about a previous edition of the game that you'll never use. You know there are people that listen to this show that don't know it's me? 
that reads the intros to those with your really? um, with uh, my radio announcer, radio announcer voice, your, your radio demon if you, voice. If my you radio catch demon you on voice. TikTok, they'll actually see you. They'll do see it. me doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you de- 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 No, I don't. De- 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 I just have a I have a um static under it and an old uh, a filter over it that makes it sound like it's old time radio. Yeah. Old timey. All right. Now that we've talked about some of the basic tools, let's take it to the table for some questions, Bob. Yes, while this isn't an actual round table, we will do a round table discussion. It is rectangular. Yes. Yes. In fact, mm-hmm. it is. Why do plot jumps occur? Oftentimes they occur because you're going to have multiple concurrent storylines going on at the same time, and the players just jump from one to the other. They pick up on a, on a subplot or a tertiary plot that you had going in the background that was supposed to be developed later on, and they decide that's the most important thing that they want to focus on. Yeah, in Children of Shroud, right, the two plots that are lurking in the background are where's Mesame and what's going on with Gunny's dad. The winter wind. Yeah. And we've tried to go after both of them. Uh, The next one I will say, because I think this is actually what happened in Children of Shroud, right? Totally is. Is changing priorities due to emergent story. So nowhere in any of the prep was the scene where Silas talks to Mesame. If we're just doing some behind the scenes thing here, that whole scene is completely ad lib. It is also the most appropriate story thing that could have happened at that time. Yes. Yeah, and, yeah. And again, like we're all like, look, we're all good role players here. We know like we knew where it was going. We dove in. We had a really deep moment. But because we had that moment, finding Mesame goes up in Silas's list of things to do. Not that it wasn't always a high thing, but that scene had like a pretty big effect, I, th- I, I think. It did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also made it made me realize, and with uh, Jerry playing T, saying, oh, man, we could just track her using your sword. I'm like, you're not wrong, because we've, <laughs> exactly. we've established how tracking spells work yep. in the game. It, yep. was, it was most assuredly a light bulb moment. We're like, holy shit, we do. We have yeah. the ability to track her. Also, like, I, I've been trying to commune with her. Like, this is not the first time this has happened. Like, I've been trying to do this for mm-hmm. sessions and sessions now. I mean, going back to being able to put the sword away is the beginnings of that. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but before I could put the sword away, I was trying to commune with the sword. Yes. There were there were there were moments where I'm mm-hmm. like I'm trying to commune with the sword and nothing's happening. Yeah. It's it's been interesting. Like it's mm-hmm. it's been an ongoing thing. I don't know, what's another one? Hit you me. could have a setback or a failure, which is also what happened in that episode. Yes. Yep. Cuz you guys lost um Samia. Uh-huh. And we're like all right, we lost her. Let's like, what else can we do? Because the thing you could do is track Samia. We could, right? Like in my head, it was like, well, you could track Samia. It's not going to be easy because she's cloaked herself and she's hiding, but that's just a competing role, mm-hmm. right? Like that's just a role will be necessary. How did, what do we have of hers? We had the tin, right? Yeah. Is that yeah. how we were planning yeah. on possibly yeah, we, doing yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, that was the other thing. Cause you guys were like, all right. So a couple behind the scenes things. One of the things was like, we don't have anything of Jenna's, right? And I think you at some point, did, you guys figured out her name and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. We just figured out her name was Jenna. We never figured out her last name. Oh, right. So there was more. So it there wasn't was a, until we went to her apartment after we decided okay. to do something completely different. So there's a little, right. So let me tell you what I thought was going to happen. Figuring out that one, Simia went to, to Lockwood, that Jenna probably also went to Lockwood. A little bit of detective work, talking to some of your friends who went to Lockwood would have turned up who Jenna is. Jenna has a locker at school. You could have gotten any of her stuff by just sneaking into Lockwood, popping her locker, Pop the locker right? Grab her hairbrush, her, you know, 
her extra sweatshirt or whatever, yeah. and then went off and cast a cast a ritual. Man, I never I, think about lockers. <laughs> Ever. Did they not have lockers in your school? No, those were memories. I can carry I've a told, wagon. I've told the story told about my the lockers. story where they would just break his lockers open like every freaking day and like just rip stuff out of so them. So I don't even think lockers when I think school. At Lancaster, they made you carry everything on your back in a like case. Like Sisyphus, right? Just, like, just <laughs> uphill both ways. <laughs> Man, I'm not gonna say the thing that I say, but it's not you're not it's not helping its case. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Anyway, so in my so in my prep. Right. I was still on the chain of clues thing, like run down Samia to get to Jenna or you could like if you had jumped and were like, we're not interested in Samia. We're going after Jenna. I was like, "Okay, that'll shorten up some things, but we'll get there kind of thing. But then when you were like, forget it, let's go find Mesame. I'm like, "Okay, yes, because I actually did know where Mesame's essence was. Like, I didn't have to improvise. I was like, yes, but also I can't let you get it yet. (laughs) So I need to put you on the trail. And then a whole bunch of things had to happen behind the scenes. And maybe we'll talk about that in a later question, but I'll go through like how I assembled the solution for that. So then what happens when the gym is not prepped enough material? I know what happens when this happens is when I ask Bob to be like, you can lose your character and go chase after the queen and the airy peaks and away from the airy peaks. And uh, then everybody else says, we'll go with them instead of making a new character. I'm like, well, shit. Yes. Yeah. That I mean, again, that's a moment where you're not expecting, but like the players are so bonded, like our characters are so bonded that when yeah. Bob was like, I have to leave the peaks to go to my people, I was like, I will go with you. I, I tried to give Chris the, the opportunity, like, I'll just take my character and go, yeah. and you guys, I'll make a new character, we'll go back yeah. into the peaks, everything will be great. No, no, we'll go with you. What? What? I was like, all right. And then we got to run into halflings in a caravan. It was hilarious. But, you know, it was fine. Um, the halfling caravan is my favorite part of that, that what, arc. What a mistake as a game master by me, right? Like, me and us not understanding yet how to be like, yo, yo, let's just either, either he can make a new character and you stay here or he doesn't go. We're not doing this. Right, exactly. <laughs> I should have just said that. Yeah, because we would have all been like, oh, okay. This is this is a campaign called the Airy Peaks, not the Western Marches. That's or, true. Uh, yeah. Where are you going? The next one is uh, sometimes the players will just end up letting the GM know something's happened because they just feel hopeless or they feel like they have a lack of options. Um, and I've had this in games where the players are so badly defeated by a bunch of bad dice rolls that they just feel lackluster about following up on this plot and something else is more appealing or they get to the point where they just they feel like every option they've done is going to fail. Now, this doesn't happen. You two are both pretty good about giving us lots of options, but I've been in lots of games as a player where we just sit around the table staring at each other going, yeah, pretty much nothing we want to do here. Let's go do something else. I know this moment. I, I've yeah. seen this moment in games before. Yes. I've felt this moment in games before. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, that hope... <clears throat> rippers. <clears throat> Sorry. Sure. I mean, wow. yeah, Jerry's... Yeah, we could do a whole therapy session on that Rippers. I'm gonna ask, <laughs> I just got to ask, man, who hurt you, man? Who hurt no, you? No, the Rippers, the author of Rippers. The author of Rippers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that Rippers plot point campaign was just... Every week was... I mean, like I said, when I'm willing to burn the Louvre down I just know, to stop right? the bad guy, I'm like, it's just art. We have to save the world. I don't know that I would have burned the Louvre down. There are some things that are more we, important. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't deliberately. Actually, they did try to stop the Louvre from being burned down. But my character was like, it's on fire, but also world ending demon. World ending demon will also destroy Louvre. Let it so, burn. I mean, look. Yeah. Look, all right, so to get to this point, right, yeah. feeling hopeless or lack of options, right, players will start to get desperate, right? If mm-hmm. they think they've been shut down, they will not 
run their heads into the wall again, they'll look for something else to yep. do. Or they'll just check out. Or they'll just yeah. check out, which is worse than actually yeah. jumping. It, <laughs> as soon as the player says, what do you want us to do? That's, like, that's It's like one of the worst things you can hear as a exactly. game Exactly. You're like, oh, I have failed. I, I was, right? I or was the a, game failed me. I was in a mystery campaign where we were all playing students at some magical fantasy school thing trying to solve a mystery. And we had like six clues and none of them were the actual clues. And we got to the fifth clue. Oh. And I just said to everybody at the table in the gym, like, you know what? I don't think we're following these clues. I don't see the point of going after any more of these clues until we get more information. We need to go find more clues because whatever we're doing the last like three weeks of playing, we haven't discovered anything that has gotten us closer to the end of this mystery. So you know what? Let's just do this because the rest of this seems pointless. I don't think this other clue is going to pan out. It doesn't make any sense. It didn't. We just ended up doing something else. And eventually the GM gave us another clue, which turned out to be the clue we we're looking for. Um, I don't know why that was done that way. I don't understand the GM, but anyway. Probably because you said something. I'm no, going to no, guess because no, you said something. No, no, no. I don't know why the GM had us following five clues that were oh, all red herring. Because the GM, oh, GM didn't for, know what they I, were doing? First of all, before I get on, I'm, before yeah. I get on to my soapbox. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> first of all, I have a thing about. <laughs> we're set it up we for need you. a sound for yeah. it, right? Like, <laughs> just rolling it out. Listen, I have a big thing. I don't believe in red herrings in role-playing games. Red herrings in books are fine, like mystery books, but red herrings in RPGs generally suck. Few people can do a red herring that is actually enjoyable. Most times, players are just annoyed with red herrings. Yep. Man, I keep talking about it, but the best place that I've ever seen for red herrings is, is the car from Brindlewood Games because they're just clues that you don't use. They're not red herrings, right? Red herrings a clue that intentionally takes they, you off the track they, of the yes. mystery. They eventually become recontextualized to become red herrings so they didn't have anything to do with what we sure, were going on. Sure, and that's fine. Which is interesting. But yeah. here's the difference. The difference is the players decide which ones those uh -huh. will be, right? The players, as they solve the mystery and check off the clues that they want to use, have made a conscious decision. Until that happens, all clues are potentially correct clues. When you do it the other way in a procedural mystery, the GM hands the player a clue they intentionally know is wrong to lead the players off and waste more time in the game. Okay, yep. so I think there's a difference. I think there are. There's an episode. Since, since we're yeah, there's an episode. Yeah, yeah. We're a little bit on the aside here. And I'm yeah, okay sure. I like I like our asides. I think asides are yeah, fun. Asides are great. There's a difference to me between a clue that can solve a mystery and a clue that is a lead that will point you somewhere else. Yes. Sure, but I mean right. again, you know what I'm gonna say here. There, sure, there I, don't is also, I actually I don't. There is also a difference between a clue that leads you somewhere else as long as it keeps as long as it leads you in the same mystery as opposed to a clue that deliberately leads you off. Okay. The path. One of those is an actual red herring, right? The yeah. actual definition of red herring is a clue or piece of information that is or intended to be misleading or distracting. Yes. The, it, it's not, not potentially useful. It's not, not going to be used in the solution. It's, it's not any of those. It is intentionally throwing a clue out that makes the players think A when it's really B. Yes. That's a red herring. Deliberately and misleading. Red, and red herrings in RPGs suck. <laughs> red herrings in RPGs will bring out Evil Jerry Player real quick. <laughs> I prepare the Chris episode. thoughts. Oh, man. Prepare the episode. <laughs> I'm about to say the thing, and then this will spawn the episode that we will do. Sure. Good. There is a place in time to use a red herring. There is always a place in time for something. Correct. I will not argue that, but I'm going to tell you that the margin for error in using a red herring is extremely narrow 
and you better be really good before you deploy it. If not there, for rookie GMs. If there is a timer on an adventure, on a mystery, and you provide them with multiple clues at the same time, I think it is fine if one of them is a red herring that is just going to lead them to a scene that will waste their time for that moment that makes the clock tick down. Because then they can backtrack and still take another, take another path. Assuming that there's enough time, yes. Uh, uh, assuming that... Assuming that you're, you, the distance to understanding it's a red herring is short, I don't only, disagree. Not only that, but in the immediate, when you get those three clues, you can discern p- potentially that one of them is a red herring. That's the thing. There has, to, there has to be also a way for the players to have some knowledge that this may be a red herring. Because if there's no indication that it's a red herring and they just pick one at random because they don't have information and that wastes time, now that, does, now that is literally a red herring. It is, it is deliberately misleading just to, just to eat up time on their clock. All right. To and answer, that's not good. To, to, while we stay on this aside for a second, to, to, <laughs> to do episode, the bad yeah. version of your example. Sure, sure. So three examples, but it takes three quarters of the, of the time for the mystery. To determine whether a clue is a red herring or not. No, that's stupid. That's stupid. Yeah, that's correct. Dumb. If you can figure it out in the like first five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes, like something small where you're like, oh, wait, backtrack. It's I, one of the other two. I just, I'm I watch okay with that. I watch tons of procedural stuff too because Bridget is, lives in my house. Oh. And she's over the last like five years, I've probably watched more procedural mysteries than I have in my entire life. Because I think I've watched Elementary like seven times sure. in the last five so years. So let me, let me be clear. There, there are always red herrings in Elementary. Let me be clear. I don't have a problem with red herrings in any other media. I don't like them. I intensely dislike them in role-playing games. They are fine in books. They are fine in movies. They are fine like in every other media where I'm a passive observer to, the, to what's going on because they are, a, they are a plot point in the story. Sure. But if I am a player and you purposely feed me a bad clue just to waste time, just to slow down the mystery? Sure. It's a dick move. Well, that's not good pacing. There's, there's no tension there. Yeah. You know, we, you know we say that not all literary structures fit into role-playing Except games Except the well. red herring does fit into the, into the structure of the role-playing game just fine. And I will argue it because it is, as long as it's a choice. As long as you have the choice whether you are going to follow this clue or that clue, and then you can get out of it fast enough. Because it then allows you to have villains who do things that set up red herrings to cover their tracks. Sure. And that is actually, to me, good, solid design. It shows off something about the villain. So when it's something from a villain, there's already a level of, uh, look, we need a whole episode. Yeah, I, was I say, can't do this. Say, you got to cap this let's put a pin. I was going to say, let's put a pin in this and do it another episode because there's, there's a lot to unpack. Here. Your let's, nuances let's, aren't. Let's put a pin in it and go on the Yeah, next your episode. nuances aren't wrong. Bob. There's more to unpack on that. Future topic. You we, can we, never we, tell we, me it's always wrong no and that <laughs> and, say it was always wrong and, and, and it was generally a bad idea and that, and that is that is the other half of it which is is there's always exceptions there are no yeah. absolutes in this shit sure big dog bob yeah so <laughs> we're in the forest right i think so we made the last item attractive yes the last item on the list if anyone can pull it off we could pull off well, how to use a red it's hair. not even about pulling it off it's about how to use it properly right yes. like guys and it's a rolled up newspaper because we haven't yeah, stopped that yet. would be a good episode. so the last thing on our list of why plot jumps occur the gm misinterpreted where the players were going in the story it can happen oh, i yeah. often try to head this off by asking you guys what's going on in the next uh session yeah. But if you changed your mind in the middle of like the week as I'm prepping and you, and no one mentioned it to me, we could wind up in one of those situations. Yeah. 
I've had that happen on more than one occasion. I almost did it to Phil during an Ox game. I'm like, we should do this. And he's like, that's not what you told me you were doing. I'm like, all right, we'll do the other thing. Yeah. yeah. Last, I mean, last time you said you were going to do Ox, so I prepped Ox. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> that's when I was like, yeah, it's fine. That's fair. I don't want to waste your time. Yeah. I, I try to respect the game like, mm-hmm. that we're playing. Yeah. yeah. Respect the game that you're playing, folks. Yes. yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. Next question. What are some of the tools we can use to figure out how to change up the plot? Breaks. Breaks uh, for sure. I'm going to go into my favorite one that I put on here, the what's going on document. That mm-hmm. thing saves me more times than not because it's my what has happened behind the scenes. It's how I reference what, how I'm going to fix things. I like the idea of other plot tie-ins. I think just mm-hmm. having, having another subplot, which is kind of what you did with Children of the Shroud. You redirected us back to a subplot, which was chasing down Jenna. We started going after Mesame, and going after Mesame led us back to the subplot of going after Jenna, or technically the main plot of going after Jenna in that session. It felt like that's what you were doing. Yeah, and that and that's that's good because it, it felt seamless. I don't think he intended that, but it's <clears throat> no, actually, it's not untrue. It is. Um, I'm so just reading his body language, the yeah. the linkage between Jenna, her boyfriend, and Mesame mm-hmm. has been there for a long time. Uh-huh. Yeah. The pacing of getting from Jenna. The boyfriend and Mesame is what got compressed, so I stretched it back out with a little bit of story bending and yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, but if, but if you've got a good, but if if as you said, your what's going on documentize in this. Oh yeah. If you have a good idea of what's going on in your plots, there are ways to redirect where they're going into another subplot and tying them together without making it look like you're just redirecting them. The other thing that I did between um, recordings was after you guys lost Samia. I went into my prep and wrote a new section that was like, what happens after Samia gets away? Because yeah. if you had mm-hmm. caught if you had caught Samia in the park, you would have gotten the clues to go after Jenna before Jenna knew anything happened to Samia. But what what wound up happening is when Samia got away, I'll just a little behind the scenes here, Samia calls Jenna and is like, These dudes in the park tried to arrest me. And then Jenna's like Oh, fuck. And she does some shit, too. Yeah, because she's cutting off a loose end. I knew exactly what she was yeah. doing when we showed yeah. up. Yeah. Right. So when I started writing that 15 minutes, I was like, okay, look, I have a couple goals. One, I want to put, me, I want to put you guys back onto the end game of this because I want to actually finish this mystery. So I'm going to just put Jenna into the plot. Also, I need to give you some stuff. So I needed to put some stuff in the apartment. And then, and this is, now this is completely behind the scenes, that thing about the no clipping into the back room, was actually something that Senda's son was telling me over the phone because he was telling me all these Gen X things because mm-hmm. he was listening to me doing my it, Gen X I stuff. I think you mentioned that in the episode. Right. You and he it. was kind of laughing because he's like, you're getting some things right. You're getting some things totally wrong. And so he gave me a couple more. And so sitting in the back of my head was this you no know, clipping through the back room. And I was like, when he told it to me, I was like, oh, I'm totally using this in a future episode. Like yeah. I had not planned to use it for like one or two more scenes but as i'm sitting there going all right well how the hell do i get like jenna here and where do i like how do i get mesame's essence in a way that you can track it to the apartment but you can't actually find the actual full container it has to be somewhere else that you can't track as i'm putting all that stuff together i'm like oh and again this is that pattern recognition thing that all you know that you do as a gm i'm like oh i have this back room thing this extra dimensional space i'm going to pull it into the story right now and then I'm going to set up that Jenna went this way, the essence is X. Like, I can't tell you because we still haven't played that part. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. like, I've, I'm going to do this thing with the essence. But also, I don't want to be a dick and rob you guys of the work that you guys were doing. So I needed to put some stuff at the apartment that made it 
like you got to the apartment. I need to reward you for that work. Does that make sense? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. it totally does. None of that would have been as easy to do without having the what's going on document where I knew all the stuff and only had to just kind of look at it and say, well, all right, how do I adjust what I have to keep the story, you know, alive? It's interesting. I, I just want to, I want to counterpoint this. And I don't think either one of these ways is, is right sure. or wrong. The way that you do it with the what's going on document, jotting notes down and whatnot is the thing that I will often do in my head while we're playing a game when like, oh, that person got away. What are the next three steps that they're going to take? No, no, no. Cool. I know what's going to mm-hmm. happen next. Mm-hmm. And that's how I improvise games all the time. Yeah. I haven't actually changed the what's going on document since the first session. Sure. I don't actually update that. I updated the prep just because we had a week between sh- stuff. Sh- sure. To counter the like. Yeah. The, the jotting it down and the people that like to run off the cuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't write things down necessarily all the time. I just adjust in my head real quick sure. and proceed forward in the exact same way that Phil is talking about doing it by writing it down. Yeah. yeah. That is how I could run Dungeon World games on, on a note card for fucking three years. Yeah. And, you know, when I played PBTA games, I mean, I, I did the exact same well, style. Sure. Play. Right. But like I'm like I said, I'm not like disparaging like what you're doing. Yeah. I'm just saying there's multiple ways to do this. It's how I I slowly built up the cult of the White Fang without ever writing anything down. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I just knew in my head who all these people were. For, for those folks who are listening to us talking about, uh, about story jumping or plot jumping, if you're more familiar with the idea of video games, we're talking about sequence breaking. Like, we are breaking sequences that Phil has in his mind for what he thinks is, like, the logical thing that should happen. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a logical thought of what potentially could happen in your game, mm-hmm. as long as you're willing to not be married to that thing. Yes. Don't be married to your whatever your logical sequencing in your head is, because that leads to madness, because they'll, it'll never happen. Yeah. It's also not fun. That's not the point of, in my opinion, what a role-playing game should be. Yeah. And I mean, the tips that I, I mean, the tips I get to go with that, right? I don't ever write solutions. And two, I often write my prep as in, especially the what's going to, what, what's going on document, as if you guys didn't, weren't involved. So it's, it's my baseline. Like, this is the shit that happens if no one intervenes. Mm-hmm. And then when you intervene, I can just look at, well, what would change? When you failed to catch Samia, what changes from what I've already prepped if Samia can warn everybody that the veil is chasing her down? I wish we had written some of this stuff down in some sort of published format before Jason Cordova did. <laughs> right. <laughs> he like beat us to it. We've been talking about this stuff for like seven years, man. Yes. And so is he. Don't get me wrong. Now, but th- that's exactly what the mysteries look like in public. I access. mean, look, we're all drinking from the same fucking I know. well. Right. Yeah. Like, like, here's yeah. the here, like the mysteries are like, here's the danger. Here's what's going on. Yeah. Here's what happens if you don't deal with it. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's I right mean, there. Listen, it's, it's I don't thing. think that, that's what I've talked about. What are the, we, we've all been talking about for like a decade. Yeah. One of, one of, I've talked before about the Companions adventures from the from 1980 where they blew my mind away because every adventure was written with, here's the timeline that came before. Here's what's going on in town when the players arrive. Here's what will happen if the players don't intervene. And that was mind-blowing to me at age nine. Yeah, and you know? it's gotten smarter now because it's yeah. even less than that. It's easier to process. Oh, it is. It yeah. is. It's, so, a, it's a good idea. I mean, when I say we're all drinking from the same well, signs and portents. Sure, right. Right, like, we all drank from the Dungeon World well, and mm-hmm. Jason was, Jason was a huge Dungeon World person yep. early on, right? I mean, that's where Discern Realities came from, mm-hmm. and so we all, like, it, and you're right, we've all been talking about it, and it's one of the reasons why those, um, why Jason's games work so well when we play them, is they, they, they're so close to how we play. Yeah, it is one of the weak things, actually, in the Cortex Prime books. It doesn't do a very good job of explaining how to construct scenarios yeah there's nothing it, it, it in doesn't 
<laughs> yeah. Like what your what are your frameworks for playing with that? There's a little bit of that, like in hammerheads and things like that. Like yeah. here's how a disaster gets set up, which is not bad, which essentially is what you do for all of our ox game stuff. I, I, I drew a little in the beginnings from hammerheads mm-hmm. and then we fumbled through probably the first two to three sessions. And then I got, I figured out, was like, oh, I now understand how to put one of these together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's about right. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, what's next? Uh, what is next? <laughs> Bob, that's your job. I'm just here for the ride. Yes. What are some of the pitfalls to having a jump in the storyline? Well, the first one is that the story just ends too quickly. If you have a jump in the storyline, you're not ready to end that game, but you let it go, for, you, but you let that jump go through. It couldn't end your, your story, your game, or that session. That's true. That's why dungeons are such a good structure, because it's really hard to skip stuff in the dungeon. Passwall. I mean, yes. <laughs> That's why Passwall is such a fucking shitty spell. I mean. Boink. <laughs> just walking through. Depends on how, if you can cast on everybody or not, too, right? Yeah. Like, because if you're just, just you. Around. Yeah, I mean, if you're just the one that walks through the wall and you walk into the room with, like, you know, 12 onkegs and it's just you by yourself, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. If you're a pair of eyes that are just floating along, like, rolling <laughs> right, along Right, right, exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's- that, that's from our DCC game. That's everybody. a fucking... Try emoting with nothing but your eyes. It's great. That's that super fucking fun. Shit is that so adventure good. is one of the best it's things really good. I've... Yeah. Another one, um, you could miss key story beats. Like, if you're jumping over a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. there's just stuff in the middle that you might have, like, that would have come out through play that now might get skipped, or you're going to have to shuffle it back in somewhere yeah. else. Here, let's talk about this for a second. I think this is an important thing sure. to note. So there are story beats that are necessary, which means as a game master, you have to reshuffle them back in somewhere. Otherwise, the players, and, and you don't have to do it in that session no. or that adventure. You can just shuffle them to another session or adventure. Yeah. yeah. But then there's the, the stuff that they just missed that would have been cool to know. Mm-hmm. Now, you can shuffle that stuff back in somewhere else if you want to, but you don't have to. Like in our D&D game that we played for, that we've been playing for, for a long time now, there are things that you guys miss all the time. Yeah. And I don't care because it's just background information that's flavor for the world. And you guys get tons of that stuff anyway, so it doesn't matter to me whether you get it or not. But those main points, I got to make sure you get them. Yep. Otherwise, the stuff that I have planned doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's probably the important part, right? Those missed things help with either explaining, like, help to make the world make sense or maintain continuity or both. So what's our next question, Bob? Uh, what are some memorable times you or your players have jumped the plot and how was it handled? I will try to condense this down as much as possible, and then Bob can help me out with this. We had a D20 modern game many, many years ago that was a heist-style game, right? Criminals that were stealing things week to week kind of thing. And they encountered a person called the Wolf who was basically had a protection racket for criminals in Las Vegas. was like, look, if you pay me 5%, 10% of your whatever you steal— I'll make sure that, like, you don't have, like, legal problems with the police and things like that. And if you, you know, refer other people to me, I'll give you a cut of their money. It was a pyramid scheme. So the players were like, fuck that. We're not giving this guy any money. And they confronted him. Yeah. And they outed him. Like, they had figured out who he was with some investigation. And they did such a shitty job because the player who was negotiating rolled so poorly that... I was like, oh, this guy's got to fucking run. Like, he needs to run. And I'm like, cool, he's going to get up and leave. And then I thought, and I was like, this guy would have a plan for what happened if he got burned. And it would have to be a really good plan. Like, it would have to be like he blew up his whole operation and disappeared quickly. And I was sitting there at the table, and I'm like, I can't fucking wing this. 
Like, I can't wing it a plan this intricate. No. So I was like, we got to stop playing. Since you guys have decided to go down this route, we'll stop for today and I will prepare what happens next in our, like, next week when we play. I need to say now, I couldn't wing that either. I would have to stop too. It's yeah. too much. Yeah. It was yeah. too much. And, it, and, and I wanted it to be intricate because I was like, if I ad lib this, it'll be okay, but it won't be airtight. And this guy had had this racket running for like 10 years. Yeah. And so he had like everything from, he had parolees. He was laundering money through a charity that he staffed with parolees. So when he burned his operation, he just had the police, he violated all of their paroles and just had the police scoop them up and disappear them back into jail Mm -hmm. so they couldn't be found. And like, he like he burned this whole operation to the ground in this really methodical manner and outed the players, put them on the run like it was. And yeah. it also changed the entire course of that campaign. It was like Phil said, his plan, this character was so well set up that it took us quite a lot of investigating and finagling to figure out finally who he was. This went on for a while. And then what'd you do when you found him? Well, the thing was, this game started out like a light Ocean's eleven kind of thing. And then when this guy threatened our money, and then we hunted him down, and it turned into Reservoir Dogs. Literally. And we literally, Sean's character greased him on the beach in like, I don't know. It like was the Bahamas. The Bahamas or something. And we were all like, how did we get here? Like, <laughs> Who are we? There's another really good story about this game that's in the first chapter of Unframed. Go pick up the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I was in college running my weekly superhero game, there was a time travel adventure in year three that we were playing that involved kind of the Terminator kind of thing where characters come from the future to warn the heroes of the past of what was going on. And what they found out was that their base, which this has been a plot point since the beginning, was built over one of the six elemental nodes on Earth. And that when the villain who's coming back from the future to basically wipe out a bunch of people sets off a futuristic neutron bomb in the player's base, he accidentally blows up the elemental node, which creates a 150-mile crater. Not just diameter, but also up and down, which messes with things. And my plan was the players were going to figure out how to stop the neutron bomb, go from there. They're like, when does this happen? And they're like, oh, you know, this happens in a week that you guys get attacked here. And the base was, well, if we just blow up our base now, he can't come and blow up our base later on. And then he wants it off the neutron bomb here. And before I could do anything else, the players just set about destroying their own base. <laughs> They just, they're like, what are we, we're superheroes, what are you going to do? Okay, we're going to set off a bomb here that won't set off. Like, they suddenly realized they had an elemental node, so we're not going to use that element here. And, like, within, like, three minutes, the players go with the plan, and they just put it right in motion. It's like, we're blowing up the base right now. Wipe the base off. Now we're going to build our new base somewhere so that if he sets off a bomb, it won't create a crater on Earth. And that was their next bomb. I'm like, oh, okay. They had all these clues, what I thought were clues, on what to do next. They didn't take any of them. They're like, we're going to blow up our base now. This was... This player group did that a lot, where they were just like, we're going to make some spontaneous idea and just go with it, however logical it was. It was a lot of fun, but I was just like, "Um, that's not at all what I've got written down. So again, we're going to take a break here. You guys all, now that your base is gone, you guys all go go grab some Swedish fish and hit the bathrooms and get some lunch (laughs) and everything. And uh, when you come back with food, I'll have the next part of the adventure written. There's a player group that never goes off half cocked. They go off fully cocked every time. Oh, yeah. They, They... I mean, they, yes. This is this is this is the same group that I went to the bathroom and came back and on our big whiteboard they drawn a flowchart explaining how 
every adventure in the game traced back to the same villain and that this whole, that the villain that was behind everything they were trying to find was this one particular villain who I had not yet introduced into the game. I just mentioned a name once. They were not even close to being in the same ballpark. <laughs> they it's, were completely wrong, but they yeah. had all the evidence. Yep. It's, it's like they thought it was Dormammu and it turned out to be Dr. Octopus. I mean, it was uh, that kind of different. I would have <laughs> so. just made it Dormammu at that point. I hope you did. No, actually, I did something a little different. Oh, okay. Because it made more fun for them to... They also knew where the villain was, so they broke into his base as he's sitting there doing nothing, shook him down and realized he wasn't the main villain, and then I gave... <laughs> which gave me a chance to give them a clue to who the real villain was. Well, that's it then. That's our workshop on jumping the plot. We hope this has been helpful, and hopefully it'll be some use next time your players manage to skip part of your storylines. Man, we just kind of like went all over the place in that one, didn't we, Apropos, guys? Apropos, we also jumped, jumped the story. We yeah. also jumped it's the pretty, show uh, notes pretty wild, to right? talk about <laughs> mysteries. mysteries. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yes. Maybe you didn't catch how meta we were being. Yeah, so Thank you for listening to Misdirected Mark Plays. Now let's do some Patreon shots before we get out of here. Let's start with the Royal Court. Ty Prunty, known as Lord Timemonger. Lars Henrik Evjan, the Lord Out of Time. Jim, the Royal Merchant Emeritus, Chromatic Chameleon, the Queen's Spy Mistress, J.T. Evans, the Queen's Librarian, Schmitty, the Keeper of the Labyrinth, Andrew Dacey, the Warden of Whiskies, John Carney, the Court Necromancer, Craig, the Lord of One Name, Tiberius Starcrash Smith, the Baron of Britannia, Eric Bontz, the Were-Gator, and Kevin Lovecraft, the Royal Beard. Other patrons include Chris Constantine, Miko Froelich, Eric Simon, Not That Billy Mitchell, Fiona, Huxley, Kathleen Halperin, Christopher Gamelk, Michael Becca-Sperm, Joseph Knoll, Carlos, Heptilemma, Michael Draper, Alice Kira, Jim Fitzpatrick, Brantley Harris, Steve Radabaugh, Rory McLeod, Ninjabi, Richard Wyatt, Joseph Peralta, Brian Kurtz, my Brett, not my Brett, but somebody's Brett, Chris Steele, Jared Rasher, Eileen Barnes, and Brandon Barnes. Thank you so much for being our patrons. If you'd like more content like this, you can check it out at misdirectedmark.com. If you are interested in supporting the show and other shows on Misdirected Mark Productions, you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com MMP. You can get a whole bunch of stuff there, including extra bonus podcast episodes, material concerning this game, The Children of the Shroud, that includes character sheets, our game rules, some of our setting stuff, and Phil's thoughts from behind the screen. If that's not your thing, then you can just tell a friend about us. We'd greatly appreciate it. If you're looking for other podcasts to listen to, there are a variety of shows on our network. You can check out Pandas Talking Games with Phil and Senda, where they talk about all kinds of game stuff. The Gnomecast, where a bunch of gnomes get together to talk about gaming topics to avoid being thrown in the stew. And Thaco with Advantage, where Ange and Jared talk all about D&D. They're going to talk about it anyway, so why not record it? If that's still not enough content for you, we have a number of other podcasts that we recommend and are friends with. The Tabletop Bellhop, your board game concierge. The Knights of the Night, an excellent AP podcast. Mastering Dungeons, where they talk all about D&D if you want some more D&D stuff. And How to RPG with Sean P. Kelly. You can catch that on YouTube. He's live on Saturday mornings. I'm often in the chat room there. Well, this has been a Misdirected Mark production. The media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out.